Let's again continue our worship. God, thank you for this opportunity just to be together. We pray, dear God, that you would truly move in this place. You would move in our hearts this morning. Open up our minds for what you're going to share, what you're going to give us this morning. Open up our minds that we would look deep into your word, Lord God, and learn so much more about who you are. In Jesus' precious and holy name, amen. Okay, so you just stand right there for a second. Your your part is coming. Um, are you guys ready to have some fun still? Because we're not, we're not even clear, near finished having the fun. Um, get out your pen if you could. Make sure you take out a pen. You've got to keep track of this. This morning we're going to continue our series, Finding Jesus. And last week we talked about how Jesus was separated from Mary and Joseph. Okay, they got separated. And Jesus spent time in the temple with the teachers. And we went through all of that. It was really, really fun. So this morning I want to tell you an old story in the new light. Okay? I'm going to tell you an old story in a new light. I love digging down and finding hidden treasure, if you will, in the Bible. Some of the things I really, truly enjoy about being a pastor. So I have a question I want us to answer this morning. The question is, how did the shepherds know where to find Jesus? In that story of the shepherds, how did the shepherds know where to find Jesus? So Liam is going to... Is going to not read, actually, quote, Luke chapter 2, verses 4 through 14. You go right ahead. And there were in the same country shepherds, abiding in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them. The glory of the Lord shall run about them. They were so afraid. The angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you, born this day in the city of David, a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you. You shall find the baby wept and swaddle of those lying in the manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praying to God, saying, Glory to God in the highest, and earth peace, good will to men. Good job, buddy. Outstanding. Good job. That was awesome. All right, so I'm going to continue in verse 15, not memorized, okay? When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go, remember this is, let us go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which, is, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard, were amazed at what the shepherds had said to them. Okay, first off, Liam, that was really good. He memorized that whole thing, and that's pretty amazing. Love that. So each year, okay, each year at Christmas, we begin to see nativity scenes popping up in, in churches and around the community, right? And we all have these nativity scenes kind of pictured in our minds. And within this iconic scene of the nativity, you have the shepherds. And Luke says that the angel appeared to the shepherds. So he appears, the angel appears to the shepherds. But my question is, as I was reading through this and trying to, you know, find something, you know, every, you know, Christmas time, you've, you've heard sermons, you hear them online or whatever else, and they're pretty much similar. And you go, yeah, that's a good story. And I've heard it. So I was sort of asking some little bit deeper questions. And why didn't the angel give clear direction And how did the shepherds know where to find Jesus? 
Okay, because they said in Bethlehem, you'll find him in a manger in the town of David. Okay, so how did the shepherds just go and find Jesus? Verse 15 and 16, I'm going to read it again. The shepherds said to one another, let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off, right? They hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in a manger. They said, let's go. Go where? You say, well, Bethlehem. They say, so they hurried off. They hurried off. But how did they know where in Bethlehem to look? That's the, that's the, the question that keeps going around in my mind. And you may think, well, they had, they had, they had a star to guide them to the place. Um, not according to this text, they didn't. Okay? You think, well, yeah, the star's like right over this thing. We, we've seen it in the, in the nativity scene. The star's right there. But there's one problem. That's not in this text. So this, that's not what happened. Now, there was a star in another story, but that was with the three wise men. In, in Matthew chapter 2, verses 9 and 10, the Magi, who are also known as the three wise men, um, they followed the star to, to Jesus' home. But here's the thing. By the time they got there, he would have been between 9 and 18 months old. So even in that story where it shows the wise men standing there bringing their gifts, at the, that's, that he would have been 9 to 18 months old by the time they got there. The angel basically, it doesn't say to the shepherds, okay, second star to the right and straight on to morning, right? Like in Peter Pan, you know what I'm saying? That's not what the shepherd said to, that's not what the angel said to the shepherds. So it wasn't actually a star, the Bible says, that guided them to where, so then how did they find him? See, here's the thing, we assume a lot about the birth of Jesus that is not written in the Bible. A lot of traditions that we follow. As a matter of fact, the whole idea of Mary and Joseph being kind of kicked out or thrown out of the inn, which we think like a hotel, okay, that's kind of the way we think about it, and then having to move to some dirty stall with a bunch of animals is not totally, hear me out, is not totally accurate, okay, and really can't be completely backed up by Scripture, all right? So I'm not saying none of that happened the way we kind of portray it, but it can't be completely backed up by scriptures. Here's what I want you to do this morning. I want, to do, I want you to leave this place. This is one of the reasons I'm doing this sermon. I want you to leave this place this morning and do your own study. Okay? I have, and I'm going to share with you the conclusion I've come to. Now, if, you, if at the end of the sermon you say, I'm not sure, I, dis, I may disagree with you. You're allowed to disagree with me of what I say this morning. All right? you're, you are. Other Sundays you're not. Okay? But this Sunday you're allowed to disagree with what I say this morning. But like my professor used to say, if you disagree with me, you have to back it up with Scripture, okay? You have to back it up theologically. You have to go and you have to study on your own, then come back to me and say, well, here's what I think, or here's, maybe here's where I think you might be a little off. That's totally fine, okay? This doesn't change the fact that Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, and life. No one comes to the Father but by me. Well, hold on to that one. My feet are in concrete. So, but if you're going to disagree with my conclusions this morning, you have to back it up with Scripture. All right? So I'm challenging you. This is a pastoral challenge to the church, and I'll have some fun with it. So go home after I'm finished and say, what did you think about that? And, and go through the Scriptures and read it for yourself, and, and then we'll talk about it. So again, question, how did they know where to go? How did this is about finding Jesus, right? How did they know where to find Jesus? How do the shepherds know where to find Jesus? Well, let me share a little history 
and prophecy, some prophecy that may help us with that answer. Where did, how do they know how to find Jesus? Okay, we'll start in Micah chapter 4, verse 8. It says this, As for you, watchtower of the flock, hang on to that. As for you, this is a prophecy of the Messiah. As for you, watchtower of the flock, stronghold of daughter Zion, the former dominion will be restored to you. Kingship will come to daughter Jerusalem. So the Old Testament, okay, the Old Testament here gives us a clue. It gives us a clue. It says the watchtower of the flock. In Hebrew, okay, it's, it's called Migdaletter, okay? Migdaletter. Literally, tower of, tower of Eder. So tower of Eder, Eder, Migdaletter. So watchtower of the flock. So that's the first prophecy that we have. The phrase watchtower of the flock is really significant, okay, in the story here. It's very significant as we'll see moving forward. The tower here was used by shepherds. It was used by shepherds at that time to see into the valley. That was basically, this valley was on the edge of Bethlehem where the shepherds, where the shepherds could protect their flock. So they'd be up, they would be able to look down, see any predators, see what was coming down the road, and they'd be able to test, protect their flock. So the tower was used historically by the shepherds to see into the valley. The tower at Bethlehem, is mentioned for the first time in Genesis chapter 35. So get your pens out. This will be fun, okay? It's fun for me. I'm not sure it's fun for you. All right, but it's fun for me. So in verse 21, in, in, in Genesis chapter 35 and verse 21, it says, Israel, or Jacob, God renamed him, moved on again and pitched his, scent, his tent beyond Migdaletter. All right? So we have Jacob and Migdaletter. It's also interesting that in Genesis chapter 35 and verse 19, we know that Jacob, when he left Bethel, he, be, he came to Eder, the tower. So he left Bethel and he came to Eder. Why is that significant? This is where Rachel gave birth to Benjamin. Right? So she gave birth at this place to Benjamin. And it's the same place where Rachel, she had very hard labor. She had terrible labor and she died. Okay? And that's where she died. Can tie these things together. It tells us, tells us that she was buried. She was buried at Epaphratha in Bethlehem. That's Bethlehem, Epaphratha, Bethlehem. So Rachel giving birth to Benjamin had terrible, you know, a terrible childbirth experience, hard labor, the Bible says, and she died and was buried at Epaphratha, which is Bethlehem. Little, now, little side note, little side note. The Bible says the Messiah, because that's what we're talking about here, the Messiah would be in the line of Jacob. Okay, Israel, be in the line of Jacob. That's important. Jacob stayed at Migdaletter, in this place we're talking about. He would also, the Messiah would also come from the line of David, okay? David was born, you guessed it, right, in Bethlehem, okay? The city of David, the town of David. The ancient scribe, Jerome, recorded that the fields near Migdaletter were less than a thousand paces from the city itself. So we're talking about the shepherds watching over their flocks. Jerome, the, the historian Jerome says that the, the, it was a thousand, less than a thousand paces from the city itself. This is the same field, just for the fun of it, okay? This is the same field, by the way, that Boaz, where Boaz, David's great-grandfather, romanced Ruth. 
Okay? So you have all this, you have all this history built around this place. Okay? This, this field, if you will. Now, it gets better. Okay? It gets even more exciting. If you're not excited already, are you excited? All right, yeah, it gets even better. Get ready, get ready for some goosebumps. I got goosebumps when I started studying all this. Okay. Early Jewish writings tell us that the flocks that were, that were pastured at this place were raised for temple sacrifices. Migdaletter, okay? So the flocks that these shepherds were overseeing and raising were used for temple sacrifices. The shepherds who kept them were specifically trained to raise sacrificial lambs. Okay, so these guys were raising sacrificial lambs, so the plot begins to thicken. If you know, if you got any theology down a little bit, you start to see a picture unfolding here. These shepherds were educated. They they were educated in how to keep. Okay, this was their this was their responsibility at this time. How to keep these lambs spotless, spotless and without blemish. That was their responsibility. So it made the letter. Okay. They're there, the shepherds are there at the tower. Their responsibility is to bird the hues there. The lambs then will be born, and they were to keep them without spot or blemish because they were being raised for temple sacrifices. Now, if you remember before Jesus, okay, in the Old Testament, they would sacrifice animals without blemish. And you say, well, why would they do that? Because the Old Testament is just leading up to the Messiah. It's a foreshadowing. The reason they did that was for, was for sacrifice for their sins, but it was a foreshadowing and a leading up to the coming of the Messiah. Okay? So this all fits together. In Deuteronomy 17.1 it says, You shall not sacrifice to the Lord your God an ox or a sheep which has a blemish or any defect. For that is a detestable thing to the Lord your God. Now, according to the, so many sources that I read, they would, they would, this is, this is, this is just amazing. They, they would, they would rest, okay, the lambs in a manger. This is what they would do. After the, if they gave birth, okay, they would take the lambs and they would rest them in a manger. Or they would say, they said a dip in, in the rock. All right, to keep them from to keep them from kind of flailing around when they when they were when they were born when they were until they calmed down they would take the lambs and they would place them in the manger to to keep them until they were calm okay until they were calm and it gets better I also read these lambs these lambs were wrapped in swaddling clothes okay by these priestly shepherds to protect them from injuring themselves so they would be without blemish, so they wouldn't have blemishes. All right, so here's what we have. Make the letter. Shepherds, okay, priestly shepherds, overseeing these flocks who were used for, who were used for temple sacrifices. When the lambs were born at this place, they would take the lambs to keep them from injuring themselves and their firstborn kind of bouncing around and kind of whatever they were doing. And they would take them and they would wrap them in these claws, the clothes, this swaddling clothes, okay, and then they would take them and they would put them in the manger so they would be without spot or blemish. They wouldn't, they wouldn't injure themselves. And they knew exactly what they were doing to take care of these lambs. Because these shepherds would have known, would have been educated, they would have understood the, the significance of why they were raising these lambs. They, they weren't just these, these uh, uneducated shepherds out there in the field. They understood the significance of why they were raising these lambs and what they had to do in order to raise up these lambs for a temple sacrifice. 
They would also have known the prophecies, okay? They would have understood the scripture that prophesied the coming Messiah. They would have that understanding and that knowledge. So, as we go back and think about our question, the question this morning is, how did they know where to find Jesus? How did they know that? Things began to take a little bit of shape here. Now, Michael, we talked about Michael 4, 8, right? Tower of the flock. Micah chapter 5 and verse 2 gets even more specific. It foretells the place in which the Messiah would be born. But it says, but you, Bethlehem, Epaphrathah. Now, people, most people don't know, but there are two Bethlehems in Israel. They're not just one, there are two. Okay, two places. There's Beth, Bethlehem and Bethlehem Epaphrathah, and they're two separate places. So this, this prophecy is not just, you know, taking a chance. Well, there's three or four places, and, you know, it could be in any of those places. No, it specifically lays out two Bethlehems. This is the one where the Messiah would be born. Though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come from me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from of old, from ancient times. So we have the place Bethlehem. We have the specific place in Micah chapter 4 verse 8, which is the tower of the flock. Alright, so now you start putting the pieces together, the prophecies and, and a little bit of history. So we know that the fields outside of Bethlehem became the place where these priestly shepherds raised the lambs for sacrifice. Now, this is also important. Our tradition tells us that when Jesus was born, if you look at any nativity scene, that Jesus was surrounded by like, um, like goats and donkeys and maybe a, a couple of camels. Um, and perhaps a cow was lowing or whatever, and some chickens or whatever the case may be. Um, and, and they were hanging out at the birthplace of Jesus. But again, for the fun of it, go, go in your Bible and find me a scripture that tells you that there were cows and chickens and goats and camels and donkeys, whatever, hanging out with Jesus at his birth. Now, I know where they get that. I know where we get that from. All I'm saying is, they use other references and things, but all I'm saying is, go look and try to find it. It's more likely, okay, that these shepherds were under rabbinical care. If they were raising, it's more likely that they were under rabbinical care, the rabbis, if, okay, they were raising sacrificial lambs for the temple. And if so, they would have maintained a ceremonially clean birthing place. Okay? If that's, if, I, if what I'm laying out is correct, they would have kept a ceremonially clean stable for the birthing place. So the tower of the flock, here we know was used for birthing ewes. So the, you get the ewes, the, the sheep would come in, which were kept in the in the field right outside of Bethlehem, where these shepherds were watching over their flocks by night, were grazing their sheep. All right, so we we know that we know that right. So the tower of the flock was used at this birthing place, and I say it was it was in this place. That Joseph took Mary. This was the st- this was the place, okay, where Joseph took Mary. It was this special stable at Migdaletter, where Mary took Joseph, and I believe where Jesus Christ was born. I think you, you kind of go through this again. 
the shepherds that kept this flock near Bethlehem would have known the prophecies. And as I was processing through this, I started to think, okay, like Simeon and Anna, right? Remember Simeon and Anna in Luke chapter 2, verse 21? They were waiting for the coming of the Messiah. They, they knew the prophecies and they were waiting for the coming. They were waiting for the coming of the Messiah. They also knew, okay... They also knew, these shepherds knew, where it was going to happen because it says so in Micah chapter 4 in verse 8. It would be in the tower, okay, of the flock. Mig the letter. See, it makes sense then, if you think about this logically, okay, I'm just going to process through logically. It, it makes sense that the angels told these shepherds, that when the angels appeared, they told these shepherds, shepherds who cared for this very special flock. It's hard to explain. That's why I was processing myself. It's hard to explain the meaning and the direction, if you will, of the sign that they were given. Or, if you think about it, their response. So the angel comes. The angel appears to the shepherds. And he goes through that whole speech, right? And he says, this will be a sign unto you. And then it says they went off. They said, hey, let's go to this place that the, the angel has told us. It says they went off and they hurried. And they found Mary and Joseph and the baby. This makes sense, okay, of the shepherds' response when the angel speaks to them where they would hurry off. This makes sense. It makes sense. And it doesn't make sense unless you're talking to the right shepherds and about the right manger. But it makes sense if you have the right manger and the right shepherds. Now, I'll let you kind of... How are your brains doing? Everybody's brains in here good? Okay. A few of the thoughts, okay? A few of the fun thoughts as I was processing through all this. Okay, the manger... I, and I, I never really recognized this. The manger is mentioned three times, okay, in Luke's account of the birth of Jesus. Three times in one verse, he mentions, three times in his, I'm sorry, three times in his account, all right, of Jesus' birth. It's in Luke chapter 2, verses, verse 7, verse 12, and verse 16. So in Luke chapter 2, 7, 12, and 16, in, in Luke's account of Jesus' birth, this, the manger is mentioned. We sometimes, when you, when you see something mentioned three times in the same chapter, it's usually done to highlight its significance. There is something significant going on here, something significant about the manger. Also, the angel explicitly states that a, a baby wrapped in cloth and lying in a manger would be a sign to the shepherds. This would be a sign unto them. I think the shepherds could read the sign. I think the shepherds understood the sign better than we think they did. They understood it. There's something significant mentioned over and over about this manger. So... Now, I know some of you have done some study on this, and they say, well, the inn is not really a hotel. It wasn't the same culturally as we think of a hotel today, all right? It's, it's not the same thing. Um, and you get this idea of, you know, Mary and Joseph coming to this place and this kind of mean, you know, innkeeper saying, you know, hey, you're pregnant, but get lost and everything and go go in a stable. Um, and so what, what you, you, you learn is, and I'm not saying it's completely wrong, I'm not saying it's totally wrong. But you'll learn is that it was a personal residence they're talking about. You, I'm serious, guys. If you really want to have some fun, okay, 
um, go and study this whole idea of Jesus' birth and what exactly happened. Um, it, is, it is truly amazing and will build your faith. Even if you can't come to absolute conclusions of exactly what happened, it, it, so, it is so amazing to process through it and see how God moved in such amazing ways through this story. So... The question is for me, does it make sense that the shepherds, when the angel told them, okay, go to Bethlehem, that the shepherds then ran into Bethlehem and went house to house? Hey, 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 hey. Or stable to stable? Is, is that, is that kind of, you know, or when they, basically, were they going house to house, stable to stable in Bethlehem looking for the place where Jesus Christ was born, or did they go straight, straight to the, the watchtower of the flock? Migda letter. They, they went off, they hurried, and found Mary and Joseph and the baby in the manger. Does it make sense that they went house to house, or stable to stable, or does it make sense that they went straight to the tower of the flock? There, it called Migda letter. That's the question. That's the thought. So this gets, I mean, this is, I mean, to me, I'm sorry, but this is even cooler, okay? Way cooler. This thing more amazing, if you will, than some of the traditions that I've learned, okay, since I was even a child. Before I was even a Christian, uh, so many things that I learned. This is even more amazing than those traditions. Jesus was born in Bethlehem where sacrificial lambs were born, wrapped in swaddling clothes and placed in a manger. Jesus was born in this same place. Now, come on, that's just cool to think about. Right? It's just cool to think about that Jesus was born in that place. You think of the history. You think of, you think of this, this plan of God that's kind of unfolding here. These, these lambs without spot or blemish that were placed in the wrapped in swaddling clothes and placed in the manger were a foreshadowing of the ultimate lamb of God, Jesus, who takes away the sin of the world. That to me is amazing. That's cool. Right. We already know. We already know from the Old Testament that it was a foreshadowing when it comes to the sacrificial lambs or an ox or anything else without spot or blemish. But the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. What an incredible foreshadowing. Listen to first Peter chapter one, verses 18 through 19, in the New Testament. For, you know. That it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors. But with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. We know these scriptures. In John 1.29, it says the next day John, which is John the Baptist, saw Jesus coming toward him. What did he say? Look, the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. The Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Listen, you don't have to be a Bible scholar to see the significance of this. You don't even have to, you don't even have to have much more than a few, uh, a few months or, or years as a believer to see the significance of this. If we're going, here's the thing, we're talking about finding Jesus, 
finding Jesus, if we're truly going to find Jesus this Christmas, we need to look beyond our traditions. And again, if you come to a different conclusion as you do this study, totally fine. Let's talk about it. It's a lot of fun to kind of, as iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. You learn so much along the way. But if you truly want to find Jesus, if you want to find the Jesus that can transform your life, if you want to find the Jesus that can help you overcome your struggles, if you want to find the Jesus that will change you from the inside out, then we need to step back, read the scripture, read the word of God and look beyond our traditions. We need to see, honestly, we need to see more than a baby lying in a manger. This Christmas. Uh, this is why I did the sermon. You need to see more than just a baby, if you will, in the traditional sense, lying in a manger. What we need to see is an eternal plan unfolding. It doesn't matter what nuances it takes on the birth of Jesus. What you need to see is that there is an eternal plan unfolding. God's plan. God's ultimate plan. The Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. That's what we need to see. Bow your heads with me. Father God, we thank you so much for the time that we can spend together just going through this, Lord God. And recognizing that there's so much more. There's so, there's, there's so much depth in everything that you say in your word. It's like searching for lost treasure. We read something once or twice or 50 times. But the 51st time, first time, Lord, we begin to see even more that you're unfolding and, and more, and there's more, more creativity. There's a, there's a greater plan in mind. And Lord God, I pray that we would, through this sermon, I pray more than anything else, that it would give us a desire to dig deeper into your word. To look at every single word and ask why, 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 how did they know, why, where? Because if we do that, Lord, If we do that, we're going to find things that transform our lives. We're going to find things that help us become the person that you've created us all to be. You're going to help us find our way to a Savior who is dynamic and to a God who has the entire plan of the world in his hands. Every detail laid out with, with precision. God, I thank you. I thank you for your word. I thank you for your son, Jesus Christ, who was born in Bethlehem, who was laid in a manger. And thank you for that child growing up, becoming the man Jesus, fully God and fully man, who would die on a cross, a sacrificial lamb, Once and for all, once and for all, dying on a cross to save us from our sin. What a story. What an incredible story of truth. We pray these things. We thank you for it. And we pray it in Jesus' precious and holy and unblemished and perfect name. Amen. Have a great week. I'll see you tonight. Five o'clock.